Welcome to the Practice X Factor, the podcast to help provide you with tools, ideas, and real-world insight to grow your practice 2x, 5x, or even 10x. Okay, well, welcome to today's podcast. Very excited to have a special guest on today, and uh, you're in for a real treat, Dr. Jim Dolly. He's a board-certified emergency room physician. He's also host of the White Coat Investor Podcast, and he has a blog and a website that's really, really great uh, for all things personal finance and investing, for especially for doctors and, and professionals. So uh, welcome to the podcast today, Dr. Dolly. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, and I was just we were just talking before the call here, and uh, you know I, I heard about you years ago. I started reading your blog, and I was really impressed that you know there was someone out there who had thought of things that I wish I would have thought of in dental school, which was hey, you know there's a there's a bill to be paid once we get done with school, and uh, it's not going to be cheap for someone listening, whether they're still in residency or school or out in practice, they can start implementing a lot of what you teach and have, have taught over the years. They can really uh, gain a lot from that. And, and recently, I was just reintroduced to your blog. And you have some really great things. Um, tell us a little bit about you know what inspired you to get started with a white coat investor and what brought you to where you are today and how you kind of balance that with your emergency room uh, practice. Well, the short version is I kept getting ripped off and I got sick of it. You know, I, uh, about halfway through residency, I realized that every interaction I had had with a financial professional had gone bad. It really hadn't gone well at all. This included realtors, mortgage lenders multiple times, recruiters, insurance agents, financial advisors, you name it, every interaction I'd had had gone bad. And so I thought, well, if I don't self-educate myself on this, then I'm just going to continue being taken advantage of my entire career. And so that is what I started doing about halfway through my residency. You know, prior to that time, I didn't really have any interest in business or personal finance or investing. Not really at all. But I went over to a used bookstore that was near my house and started grabbing financial books and just started reading them. And I read a lot of terrible financial books. But after a while, I realized that there were some good books out there, and all the good ones seemed to be saying the same things. Then I kind of uh, got online, and I'd read blogs, and I'd spend time on Internet forums. And after a few years, I realized that I was doing a lot more teaching than learning, and that nobody else was teaching this to doctors, not in any sort of widespread way at all. And so um, in 2011, I started the White Coat Investor blog. And the idea was to help doctors get a fair shake on Wall Street. And so the blog covers all those financial topics that are common to everybody, but with a slant toward the high-income professional. Uh, you know, the physician, the dentist, the attorney, the small business owner, etc. And, uh, and it's just kind of persisted since then. It's been over nine years now that I've been blogging, and we've added things as we went along. And it's now a, a little business. I've got six or seven people working for me. It's a podcast, it's a video cast, it's an online course, we have a live conference each year, I've written a couple of books, have another one in the works, and we just try to meet people where they're at and give them this critical information uh, in whatever form they prefer. That's very cool. Well, I love what you say about 
being ripped off, you know, one of my uh, mentors and, and uh, the, the dentist whose practice I purchased when I first got out of dental school, you know, I remember him saying, I had to run an errand or pick something up. And he was kind of saying, hey, don't tell them you're a dentist or a practice owner because they'll hike the price up on you, you know. And, and whether or not that was true, I don't know, you know, what his experience had been like there. But I think it is unfortunate that, uh, you know, a lot of times doctors or, you know, practice owners can be looked at as someone who just has millions of dollars lying around. And we can be, you know, prey to to people a lot of times who have good intentions, but we just we don't receive that kind of education in professional school on personal finance and how to manage all these things. And I remember my, I think it was between my third and fourth year of dental school, you know, our tuition went up like $15,000. I think we were up to like 53, 54,000 a year or something. And, you know, to me at the time, because I didn't really have a lot of other options, I just kind of went along with it. And, you know, it was almost like paper money, you know, called it monopoly money. Cause until I graduated and that bill came due, it really didn't have as much meaning. And then when you start looking at paying that with after-tax income and everything else, it really creeps in. And, and I think uh, what you've done is really helpful in, you know, people in different situations. Some work in a hospital, some work in public health, some work in private practice, and you've really given good insight on, hey, you know, here are different situations. Here's what may be the best fit for you. What are some common you know, you shared your experience of, you know, getting ripped off and doing some research on your own and kind of figuring out, hey, there weren't a lot of great resources. What are some common mistakes you see, you know, doctors and dentists and professionals making today with their with their financial situation? You know, I think the biggest mistake I see is an inability to distinguish between income and wealth. This is a big problem for doctors because they come out of dental school or they come out of a medical residency and all of a sudden their income goes up dramatically. And everybody around them, their friends and their family and their patients and their community looks at them as being wealthy. Even though at that point in time, they are probably the poorest person in the community in that their net worth is negative. It might be minus two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars if they are a private practice dentist, it might be, you know, they may have $1.5 million in debt, a half million dollar mortgage, a half million dollar practice loan, half a million dollars in dental school loans. That would not be unusual at all. And mm -hmm. so uh, they are not wealthy. They are not rich. They have a high income, but that is not the same thing as being rich. And so the great task of your life as a high income professional is to convert that high income into a high net worth. And there are basically two steps to doing that. The first one is save money. You know, you've got to carve out a certain portion of that high income and put it toward wealth building activities, paying off debt and investing primarily are what those are. And the second step is to have some sort of reasonable investing plan that you can stick with over the long term. And if you can do those two things, it really isn't that difficult to turn your high income into a high net worth. Um, but that's mistake number one, is that some doctors just never do that. In fact, if you pull physicians in their 60s, what you will discover is that about 12% of them have a net worth of less than half a million dollars, and about a quarter of them have a net worth less than a million dollars. This is everything, everything they own minus everything they owe. 
it's their house, it's their bank accounts, it's their investing accounts, their retirement, their practice, everything. Less than a million dollars after 20 or 30 plus years of doctor level paychecks. And you ask, how does that happen? And the main way it happens, you know, there's always financial disasters that happen to people, but the main way it happens is they simply spent the money. They never saved it. So number one, you got to realize that if you live like you're wealthy, you'll never actually be wealthy. Mistake number two, I think, is getting suckered in to investments that are made to be sold and not bought. That might be high expense ratio, loaded mutual funds. It might be whole life insurance. It might be your brother-in-law's business that fails. It might be some highly leveraged real estate deal. Uh, who knows what it is, but just getting suckered into bad investments. And as doctors, you have a big target on your back. You are looked at as a whale by the financial services industry. Um, you know, they want to land you like uh, Moby Dick or something. And uh, so okay. I think if you get suckered into those, rather than boring old plain Jane stock index mutual funds, bond mutual funds, uh, you know, uh, sensible real estate, then you, you end up, your money doesn't make any money and you have to do all the heavy lifting yourself with brute force savings. And so I think those are the two big mistakes. Another mistake I see from time to time is people that are just inadequately insured, right? You don't realize how much of your future financial life is dependent on your ability to practice dentistry or practice medicine. And you haven't insured that adequately, you know, and that typically means disability insurance. And if anybody else is depending on you, term life insurance. And so I'm amazed. I see all these doctors running around underinsured or not insured at all. They don't realize that it all rests on one highly specialized skill and you've got to insure it. And, uh, you know, if you're a practice owner, like I think a lot of your listeners are, it might mean, uh, you know, business interruption insurance. I think everyone can really understand this. These days, a lot of practices were, if not shut down completely, certainly their revenue dried up dramatically in the last few months. So those sorts of insurances can kind of uh, help stem the tide a little bit. I would say those are probably three of the biggest mistakes. And you notice I'm not talking about, you know, the classic investing mistakes that everybody makes, you know, like using actively managed mutual funds or, or picking stocks or trying to time the market or, or these sorts of things. These are just kind of the, the doctor-specific mistakes. Doctors also make all the other mistakes that everybody else makes. Yeah, and, and I love what you said about the income versus wealth because especially right now, if, you know, you work in a hospital or a practice, you know, private practice that was shut down or partially shut down, like a lot of us were for a few months, your net income can quickly go negative, or if it's already negative, it can go way negative and really put you in a bad spot. And, you know, one of my favorite uh, business authors, Dan Kennedy, he talks about present bank versus future bank a lot. And, and it made me think of what you were saying, because it's about, hey, you know, you got to look at your income, but then you also have to look at what are you building for your future, whether it's within your practice or your investments, those kind of things. And I think a lot of us in, uh, you know, what we may call elective healthcare, cosmetic healthcare, you know, dentistry, uh, plastic surgery, LASIK eye care, those kind of things that are generally seen a little more elective. If we try to push too much treatment on a patient, even if they really need it, if we don't have that trust with them, they leave and we have to look at it really as a long play of, Hey, how can I build a relationship of trust with this person? They're around for a long time. And to me, that's really part of 
your future wealth is, hey, what families, individuals can I have in my practice that I can see in the long run and, you know, really build the long-term game. So when you're working with practice owners, tell us kind of what you see as based on the situation of if I have some profits, I reinvest that in marketing for my practice. Should I look at real estate? Should I look at something like uh, index funds or those kind of things? What are some guidelines you use to help listeners make those kind of decisions as to where they would look? I think the very best investment you can make a lot of the time is investing in yourself and increasing your income. There is no doubt that it is way easier to pay off student loans, to pay off mortgages, to pay off practice loans, to build wealth, to save more money on $400,000 a year than it is on $150,000 a year. There's no doubt about it. It is easier on a higher income, even after paying the taxes, uh, to do well than it is on a lower income. So I think it is a good idea to reinvest in your practice. But I think you also have to be smart about it for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of people justify just about any kind of spending as reinvesting in their practice, even when the return on investment of that spending is negative. You know, they don't have any way to track that spending or it's just some frivolous purchase or whatever. You know, for example, I go into my dentist's office and over the last few years, I'm amazed at how much technology they've put in there in the last few years. And some of it is just bells and whistles. You know, it's clearly not ensuring a better outcome for the patient and none of it's cheap. I can tell just looking at it that none of it's cheap. And all of that has come out of those practice owners' pocket, out of their profits. And so I think you have to be smart about it. Yes, reinvest in the practice, but you got to be a really smart business person as you do that. And you got to look at everything with a cold, hard, calculating eye and say, is that carpet really going to uh, provide a return on my investment? Can I eke those chairs in the waiting room out another year? Is this piece of technology really going to bring more money in? Do patients really care about this or will it help me provide a better product? You know, I think you have to be asking yourself all those questions every time you reinvest in the practice. The other issue is that as a practice owner, you have an immense amount of your net worth, in addition to your income, already tied up in that practice. And I think a lot of doctors, particularly dentists, have as their retirement plan selling this practice at some future date down the road. And I think that proposition is not as sure as it was 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. I think a lot of times people are finding that the buyers for their practices are not out there like maybe they used to be. And so I think if your entire retirement plan is to sell the practice for a big lump sum of cash, uh, I think that is probably not very wise. I think you need to uh, diversify your wealth in some ways by taking some money out of the practice as you go and investing it into other investments. And my favorite investments are stock and bond index funds, low cost, broadly diversified index funds, and real estate. If you're into real estate, I think that's fine as well as long as you take the time to really learn what you're doing and evaluate the specific deals and uh, really be on top of it. If you want to be totally hands off with it, I think you're better off sticking with index funds and concentrating on your practice. But I think that's that's probably where you ought to go in weighing that decision between reinvesting in the practice versus investing elsewhere. Yeah, and I was just listening to one of your podcasts recently. It was talking about, you know, the traditional IRA versus the Roth IRA. So, you know, listeners had more questions on that. I encourage them to go listen to that. But 
I think that's very sound advice. And I think with the changing landscape, uh, dentistry is becoming less of a cottage industry and there are more DSOs and corporate dental practices. And, and I think a lot of when I started dental school, I think a third of my class was female. I think when I graduated, uh, 50% were female. And a lot of the females that I've had work with me or talked with a lot prefer to work part-time, at least at some point, or maybe not be in ownership. And so there's a changing landscape of that, along with the increased student debt that fewer buying practices right out of the gate. I think it's, for some, it's a plan down the road, but less right away. So I think that's a, a great point for our viewers. And I think from my standpoint, I look at, you know, investing in the practice, just like you said, is a lot of those bells and whistles are really just frivolous. And people who, I really look at it as, is this enhancing the experience for my patients or not? You know, if I have an x-ray machine that can be fixed or repaired and it still takes nice images, I'm going to do that, not just buy the latest and greatest. You know, I'd rather invest in things that are going to make it more comfortable or take the fear out of dentistry for patients who are scared. But like you said, as you know, we're suckers. We get ripped off. I mean, if you're a dentist and you fish or golf or any of those things, you know, you're just uh, a target for being sold on lots of stuff that you probably don't need. And there are too many practices with, you know, equipment in their drawers and in their cabinets that they bought because it was the latest and greatest. And they never really used it or implemented it or they found it didn't really enhance the treatment. And they could have invested that somewhere much better. What do you see as future changes in personal finance for professionals, for dental practice owners? After COVID, do you see any big changes or do you still see it more of a long-term game and really just sticking with the, you know, we know there are going to be ups and downs in the stock market or in practice. What do you see as the, as the next kind of wave of what listeners should be looking out for with their own financial situation? Well, I think the first thing I ought to point out is that my crystal ball is cloudy, just like yours is, and just like every talking head on CNBC is. You know, nobody really knows what the future holds. If you think you might, I suggest you start keeping a journal and you write down what you think the future holds, what the stock markets are going to do, what interest rates are going to do, what the cost of housing is going to do, and make specific time-limited predictions. And I suspect within a year, you'll convince yourself that your crystal ball is just as cloudy as mine is. So I think it's important to realize that anytime you start asking yourself this question. And I've been getting this question a lot over the last two or three months is, uh, you know, it seems like every question begins or ends with in this time period or now that COVID has come or, you know, in this current bear market or whatever. But my point is that much less has changed than you think as far as your finances mm -hmm. go. If you needed insurance before, you still need insurance. If uh, you needed a plan for your debt before, you still need a plan for your debt. Now, there's been a few specific things that have changed. For example, if you have federal student loans, there are no payments due, and there is no interest accumulating on those through September 30th. So maybe you don't want to refinance them if you otherwise would have until after September 30th. So I suppose that's a change in our current environment. And of course, you want to take advantage of programs that come out like the PPP loan and those sorts of programs. You want to learn about those and take advantage of those sorts of things. 
But for the most part, the timeless, long-term investing principles that you learn in good books, that you learn from good bloggers, that you uh, will see on good internet forums, these haven't changed, you know. It's not a reason to start timing the market. It's not a reason to start using active mutual fund managers. It's definitely not a reason for you to start pretending you're an active mutual fund manager and picking your own stocks. You know, none of that has changed. Uh, index funds still work just as well as they always have. They'll give you the market return. And even though companies will go out of business, I think the one this week, I think Hertz and Dollar and Thrifty Car Rental went out of business this week. But when you own all of the companies, that's okay if a few of them go out of business. You own all the losers, yes, but you also own all the winners. Like how many people would like to go back 20 years and buy Amazon and Apple and Google, right? Well, I did that via index funds because I was putting money in index funds back then I bought all those stocks low and I was able to take advantage of that and so uh, I think I would propose that what you need is a long-term investing plan that doesn't depend on your ability to predict the future to reach your financial goals and for me what that looks like is a written fixed asset allocation meaning how I divide up my investments and I've done this basically the same thing for more than a decade. I put 60% of my money into stocks, 20% of my money into bonds, and 20% of my money into real estate. And in any given year, one of those is going to do better than the others. Last year, stocks knocked it out of the park. This year, bonds have done pretty well compared to stocks and real estate. And so at the end of the year, you rebalance the account back to the original percentages. And that essentially forces you to buy low and sell high, which is exactly what you want to be doing with investing. But I'm able to maintain the same level of risk year to year, and I take advantage when every investment has its day in the sun. And so that's what I recommend people do. It's a very low stress, very simple, not very time consuming way to invest. And it's successful over the long term. If you put a reasonable plan together and you fund it adequately, you'll be successful with it. Well, yeah, and don't you think, too, I mean, you know, when you're treating patients, you don't want risky investments in the back of your mind because then you're really not giving your patients all of the attention and the, the energy they deserve because you're distracted by, you know, these more speculative things. And don't you think that also very helpful to your strategy is you go, hey, this is a long-term, it's not, nothing's totally set it, forget it, but there's less fluctuation as there are with other types of investments. Yeah, that's exactly right. I've spent 11 or 12 of the last 14 or 15 days basically out of cell phone coverage. No internet, no cell phone, nothing, right? I was off canyon area, I was off uh, boating, and off vacationing with the family. And the nice thing about my investing strategy is I don't have to look at it every day. I don't even have to look at it every month. You know, I basically look at it when I put new money in. It's the only time I ever really look at it. And sometimes I don't even add it all up at that point because I kind of know about where it's at. And I think that's very, very beneficial. I can't imagine how difficult it would be to run back between patients to check on, you know, the Bitcoin options you bought on margin that are fluctuating mm -hmm. by the minute. Uh, I just don't think it's a great strategy for a high-income professional. Right, And here's the wonderful thing about it is you don't have to do that stuff to win. An analogy I use all the time is to consider yourself as like the Seattle Seahawks back in the Super Bowl in 2015. I don't know if you remember this or not. 
But there were 45 seconds left or something. It was second down, and they were on the one-yard line. And they had the best running back in the NFL. All they had to do was hand him the ball and have him run it one yard to win the Super Bowl. And instead, they called a pass play. The ball was intercepted. The game was over, and they lost the Super Bowl. This is what high-income professionals do with their investments. All you got to do is stick with the boring, plain old index funds type investments and run the ball across the finish line. But instead we get all fancy and try to do this stuff and we have these big losses and we end up as being one of those doctors in their 60s that still isn't even a millionaire. And so that's what I recommend you do. Focus on keeping your income up. Carve out as big a chunk of it as you can. You know, 20% plus in order to build wealth with it. And stick with the plan in the long run, and it will pay off. Eventually, you will be financially independent, and you will have the choices and the freedom that you want in your life. I think that's great. I love the sports analogy, and, you know, I think of, like, The Millionaire Next Door or uh, The Millionaire Mind, another great book by Thomas Stanley that I would encourage listeners to check out if they haven't read. But it's a lot about a lot of these people, they weren't you know, always looking for what the new shiny object is. They're sticking with what works, what's tried and tested. And I, I see, you know, practice owners too get in things like investing with somebody in a coin-op car wash or a laundromat or something that it really is just outside of where they're at. And that's where I encourage them, hey, you know, invest in your patience, in your practice, invest in your real estate or your stock portfolio. If that's the route you want to go. And that's what I love about someone like you is you say how it is, but also you speak from experience and things that really work versus if you go watch all of the stock market channels, it's like just constant churning of information and time to buy, time to sell. There's so much emotional stress. If you succumb to all of that, that you can just avoid altogether by saying, Hey, here's my long-term plan, making this with a clear mind. And, uh, you know, I know that it's going to, pan out in the long run and obviously worked well for you because you stuck with it for a long time. It's funny you mention that because I occasionally get somebody that comes in and, and tells me about this newfangled investing plan they've got. And, you know, it varies. There's lots and lots of different ones. And I think it's fun sometimes to ask them, well, how much do you have invested in this, you know, fancy investing plan you have? And they got $8,000 or $1,500 or $30,000 or something, and that's what they have invested. And at those sorts of amounts, it really doesn't matter what you're investing return in. You got to put some money in there before anything really matters much. Mm -hmm. You know, it reminds me of a quote from Morgan Housel who said, everybody thinks they want to be a millionaire, but what they really want is to spend a million dollars. And what they don't realize is that those two things are polar opposites. You become a millionaire by not spending a million dollars that you could have spent. And when you realize that, you realize just how important that, you know, uh, millionaire next door, millionaire mind mindset becomes. Frugal people become wealthy because they don't spend money, while people who spend money and look rich don't become wealthy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's Warren Buffett says, you know, when someone pitches him an idea, they can't fit it on a three by five index card. He, he won't give him any time because it's obviously too complicated and not thought out well and it's not and simple and you know he's obviously a long-term investor player kind of guy and his track record shows it so i think that's very good advice and i was talking to a colleague just this week who was 
looking at upgrading some things in the office and it's kind of like every few days it seems like there's a different plan and I'm just thinking man I hope that there's some uh, you know responsible conservative uh, spending going on there because you have to put money into your practice you want to spend those on your patients but also you know it's easy to go down the the hole of getting to stacking more debt on top of debt and that's a very difficult hole to dig out of when you like you said factor in you know mortgage dental school debt practice that all those things it can get overwhelming really fast and so we, we thank you for being on today i think it's been some very valuable i appreciate your time do you have any final thoughts and then uh let listeners know how they can contact you if they want to subscribe to your blog or some of the products you have or get in touch how would they do that sure uh i think I'd like to finish just by thanking people for what they do. You know, it's not easy to spend your 20s in school and training and come out with all this debt. And it's sometimes thankless work. You know, people aren't always saying thank Mm -hmm. you at work. And it's difficult. There's high liability. It requires significant dexterity and a ton of knowledge and tons of studying. And I just want to say thanks for what they do because when I need your services, boy, I really need them. I think my daughter was in the endodontist this morning. And you know what? I can't do that stuff. So I'm glad somebody spent the years and years of education and training to learn how to do it. So I guess those would be my parting words. For those who want to learn more about the White Coat Investor, you can basically search White Coat Investor in anything you want. If you're interested in podcasts, there's a White Coat Investor podcast. If you like to follow a blog, please come to whitecoatinvestor.com. That's the hub for everything. We've got a YouTube channel that's White Coat Investor. We have online courses that can help you become financially literate and get a written financial plan in place. Got a couple of books. If you go to Amazon and search White Coat Investor, they'll come up. And if you want to come to our uh, our annual conference, you're more than welcome to come to that. It does tend to fill very quickly, so I would suggest getting on our email list. Uh, you get a nice free monthly newsletter, but you also get updates for things like our conference. And that would be, uh, you know, you can find that again at whitecoatinvestor.com. You can just sign up there. But I really appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Well, great talking with you and glad I've, you know, known of you for some years, but nice to have a real conversation with you and look forward to talking with you again in the future. So thanks a lot, Dr. Belly. You're very welcome. All right. Have a great day. For more growth tools and to unlock access to weekly practice building tips, visit yourpracticegrowth.com and subscribe to our free weekly email today.